And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the Athletic Baseball Show for Friday, March 3rd. Steven Nesbitt here with Keith Law. I'm again playing the part of DVR. Congratulations to DVR and his partner, Steph, who just over two weeks ago welcomed their son, Braden, or as we will forever call him, BVR. Keith, how are you doing? BVR, I like that. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. He's on parental leave now. Beaver? A little beaver, yeah. Deaver Beaver and I guess Seaver. I don't know if she has his last name. I guess I should (laughs) ask. Yeah. Um, Yeah. The nicknames just like generate themselves, clearly. Yeah. Yeah, they really do. And I just came back from parental leave a month ago. So we're, you know, ships passing in a sleepless night. I will never, never be having parental leave again. I have made sure this is, this is an impossibility. I would say, you know, I enjoyed it while I can, but it's not the most enjoyable thing, but it's good. It's valuable. Mm -hmm. It's very valuable. Yes. So, Keith, we are a week into spring training games. You've seen a lot more of the pitch clock than uh, a lot of people have over the years. Uh, if you've caught many games at all, any impressions from pitch clock, the bigger bases, any of the limitations that they've put in with the shift and the pickoffs? Um, I haven't seen a lot of the spring training action um, at all. I find early spring training games um, less than enthralling, shall we say. Watching major leaguers play two, three innings and then the JV squad comes in, it's Spring training doesn't need to be as long as it is. How about, I'll put it that way. I am. I have said before, I think on this podcast and elsewhere, I'm a big fan of the pitch clock. Um, I actually, now it's 20 seconds in the minor leagues, and I think it's 30 seconds in the majors. So that's not quite the same thing, but it has shaved quite a bit of dead time off of minor league games, and you won't miss it. I mean, that's the biggest thing is it, there's been the nuisance. I have seen many of these. Like, wasn't there a game Boston and Atlanta maybe ended yeah. on a pitch clock violation and um somebody posted this morning i saw a tweet that was basically saying someone's going to get hurt if they keep doing this because the pitcher was already in his motion and then the ump stepped off and called a pitch clock violation i think some of this is just going to get worked out players will get more used to it umps will get more used to it and you know what if umps can't get used to it find other umps like really this is it's not that hard and their job is to adapt as much as the player's job is maybe even more. Yeah, we shouldn't be calling pitch clocks violations once a guy is well into his delivery, for example. You just want the pitcher to finish his delivery so that he doesn't get hurt. Uh, I, I'm going to remain a cautious optimist here that things like that, that the fact that base, almost nobody, um, certainly nobody who's been in the big leagues for the last two or three years has any real experience with a pitch clock some of that stuff will get worked out over the next couple of weeks, maybe even the beginning of the season. Hopefully we won't be seeing a bunch of games ending on a pitch clock violation, or I think it was Manny Machado said, well, I'm going to be in 0-1 counts a lot this year. Like I'm a big Manny Machado fan, but grow up, like, come on, you can make that adjustment. You're an adult. 
like that was pretty <laughs> ridiculous and that was a really like a tantrum type of reaction um I could turn this back to parenting, I guess. Like, that was ridiculous. <laughs> you are really going to hurt your team and yourself to that extent just because you don't like the pitch clock? Yeah, I don't I don't see it, especially with the, if it's really 30 seconds. That's a lot of time. So I, I'm going to, like I said, maintain cautious optimism. We'll get all this straightened out by the time we get to, like, the end of April or so. Hopefully it'll just be part of the game. I see very few pitch clock violations in the minors or in, in colleges that use it. Um, and the games just, they do, they move faster, they end sooner, but also they just, they flow a lot better. You are more, I find even as somebody who's there for work, um, I'm more consistently engaged. There's, there are fewer times where I just sort of check out. It's like, oh my God, are we really, what can you just throw the ball? Like really just, this is a simple game, right? Throw the ball, hit the ball, catch the ball. We're not asking a whole lot more. And so I, I actually think it's been a huge net positive. And I say that as somebody who believed Beforehand, there was a there was a lot of downside to the pitch clock, but having seen it in practice for two years, I am a huge advocate. Yeah, I, I would love for baseball to not have to have a pitch clock, but it does. It does because you see you see the difficulty guys have keeping up with the clock today, and it's um, the reason the clock feels so jarring is because we got so far away from that sort of pace. And you know, we saw Carlos Correa make his first start of the season, first at bat steps in. Think uh, big swing foul ball, and he takes a, a you know a circle behind the plate, and realizes, oh, I don't have time to do this anymore. And he jumps in the box, he takes a called strike, and he doesn't move his feet. Guess what? Because he didn't need to move his feet. You know, he just got in that routine, just like pitchers. And I saw in a Tom Verducci story uh, earlier uh, this week that eighty-one uh, percent of violations in the minors were pitchers. Batters will figure this out. You know, it's the pitcher that they have a little more going on there, and just like they should. The batter. Is able to take one foot out if they want to. Uh, there's no reason to take a big loop, and uh, so they're gonna. It's all breaking habits, and the reason they're being so strict about it in spring training is because it's breaking habits for everybody involved, including the umpire. So there's a there's a lot to be learned at this point in the season, and that's great because a lot of spring trainings there's not a lot to learn. So we'll take the educational opportunity. So I wanted to touch on Keith a couple of spring training um, heavy on the air quotes breakouts uh, because we're only a week in, but. We want spring numbers to mean something, Keith, and so often they they just don't. I, I remember being a kid. I, I remember being a kid in Michigan, um, and the Tigers would give a, a couple of looks in spring trainings to the prospects at the time: Eric Munson, uh, Adam Pettyjohn, Nick Logan. Uh, you know all these all these guys who would maybe be twenty years old at the time, and they'd get a base hit, and I'd be like, you know what? I'd believe with my whole ten year old heart that they were going to pick the guys who 25 dudes who did best in spring training were going to be on the opening day roster. Cause I think my parents were saving the, the, the service time conversation until I was a little bit older um, <laughs> and, and ready to handle it. So, so tis the season now for some of this overreaction theater that happens when, when these young guys get a look, but there's some excitement. There's, there's some, some real first looks for a lot of fans, these guys. And um, so it's worth, worth, worth considering what you as much more of a, an expert than a lot of us, what do you actually look for in spring training? What, what, I don't know, what would actually sway you on a guy one way or another that you're seeing in spring training? What's significant? There's literally nothing in spring training performance that would change my mind on a player because the quality of competition is so incredibly variable and because the games don't matter. And I just, I, having been on the other side too, having been in a front office, having been, um, I mean, spend a ton of time on the clubhouse, but certainly talk to enough players. Like I understand players are, they approach spring training differently. They may be working on different things. They may just be working on conditioning or building up towards the season. 
spring training stats just don't mean anything and they really don't have any predictive value. When I go see spring training games, which I do, um, I will when the minor league star, cause I would, I just get much more value out of seeing minor league games. Um, I am much more looking for, uh, changes. So players who are throwing harder, who've added a new pitch, who have changed something in their delivery or perhaps in their swing, who have bulked up significantly in the off season. Occasionally we see a guy who's just running better or moving a little bit better because the team has done something with him. I think of, I didn't actually see either of these players last year, but heard this from other scouts. Carson Williams with the Rays shows up last year after the Rays did substantial work with him on his running gait. And suddenly he was recording plus to plus plus times, like 70 running times, which he never was before. Jackson Merrill, who's now a top 20, I think, prospect. He's definitely in my top 25. I think he's in my top 20 um, or close to it in all of baseball. Uh, shows up last year and he has bulked up in a good way. And suddenly he's hitting the ball harder and we can start talking about projecting more power on him for the future. So those are the main things I am looking for is, is a player different? I mostly explained ways a player can be different for the better. There are obviously lots of ways a player can be different for the worse. Um, whether it's just putting on the wrong kind of weight or maybe losing some velocity or slowing down in some way. Um, so those are the things I'm looking for in the teams that still do scout spring training, major or minor league. Um, and a lot of teams don't, unfortunately. That is the main thing that they're looking for as well. And it's much less about performance because it's just too easy for a guy to, I'll just say the example of a hitter, right? He is um, performing, but he's only performing say once the actual major leaguers are out of the game and you get the you know not just the prospects but i'm thinking more of the 4a guys or the the organizational players who just come in to fill in in the last few innings or early in the spring it might be more than half of the game who come in to soak up some of those innings and yeah you get a bunch of hits off of those guys and it's going to fatten up your spring training numbers but it doesn't really mean anything the example i always come back to is gabe gross who had eight home runs for us when I was still with the Blue Jays and Gabe was a first round pick before we got there. So we weren't particularly tied to him, but obviously we wanted him to be a good big leaguer. And he, even though we didn't have a clear job for him that spring, we put him on the opening day roster and guess what? He was still exactly the same player he had been before. He just had a really good month of March and it didn't mean anything and it didn't change anything about his outlook. Uh, Jackson Merrill checked in right at 20 in your, your top okay, 100. Good. I'm glad I remembered uh, correctly. It feels like that was a lifetime That's right, you have the whole ago. thing memorized, yeah. <laughs> it was. Jumping up to number 13 on that list, Andrew Painter uh, made a lot of uh, headlines this week by pitching for the Phillies at 19 years old. He turns uh, 20 in just about a week here. Uh, you know, we're not talking about him because he allowed a run over two innings and three hits. This is not really a spectacular line, but I think – People were talking about him because he looked like he belonged. Uh, part of it is the body. He's a huge kid and uh, looks confident and took on, um, you know, Carlos Correa was the first batter he faced. This is a guy who's put up awesome numbers. I mean, 156 average uh, ERA last year from – he did th three levels, I think it was. I think single A, high A, double A. What do you do with him? I mean, people want to put him in the majors right right now. Um, and the Phillies uh, have done a lot of things, but I don't think they're quite ready to do that. But what do you, wh where would you go with him in 2023? I mean, there is some talk of him making the club. I think that's um, probably nuts. Uh, there's way more downside than there is upside. I mean, it's very easy for fans to say, just put this guy in the majors right now. Why can't he be in the majors right now? Because there are you know, I think being fans being fans, as they should, 
are thinking only of the positive. And there's a lot of negative. What if you put Andrew Painter in the big leagues right away? Just set aside in all kinds of injury questions, et cetera. That's, that's a whole separate discussion. But you know, Painter has five starts above a ball. Um, they were very good, but that's it. And that's a big difference between facing mostly a ball hitters and facing big league hitters who can hit 99 and who can lay off a really good breaking ball if you can't locate it um, or show that you're at least capable of locating it, in, locating it in the zone enough that they have to consider swinging at it. You bring him up and suddenly he either starts walking a lot more guys because those pitches that minor leaguers would chase, major leaguers don't, or he starts giving up much harder contact. And you then you run into two issues. One is you don't want to damage a young kid's confidence. That's not necessarily fatal for the long term but it certainly does um it could slow a player's development and then you end up in a position where you have to demote him you don't really ever want to demote a top prospect and particularly if you've done so because your promotion of him was overly aggressive then you've created an environment where you might have to demote him at some point and nobody likes to be demoted um so to me there there is a much easier solution here which is Start Painter at AAA. Reading, their AA affiliate, is a pretty good home run park anyway. Maybe that won't matter for Painter. But he was there for five starts last year. He absolutely obliterated hitters at that level. I'm fine saying, we're just going to start you in AAA. And you know what? If you just roll through AAA like you rolled through AA, we'll find a place for you on the Major League roster. Make sure that it's clear to him what the expectations are. And... uh it's, it wouldn't even be a service time thing for me. It would very much just be, look, you haven't even pitched at this level. You've barely pitched above high A. We just want to make sure you get a couple more starts against better hitters. A lot of hitters in AAA have had some uh, major league time, and so they've seen major league pitching. And so it's just an additional test for Painter to pass. Maybe he does. Maybe he just rips through it, and in early May, you're calling him up to the big leagues. But if he doesn't, then you've... If you send him to AAA, if you send him to AAA and he's great, you've lost very, very little. A few innings he would have thrown in the major leagues. If he goes to AAA, though, and he struggles at all, now you've learned more. And you know what he needs to work on before he can take the next step. So I, I am not an advocate of taking a kid that young and that inexperienced and putting him in the big leagues. Position player or pitcher. Same song, different camp. Ricky Tiedemann in Blue Jays camp coming at you with 99s from the left side. Um, he is a guy who you had at 47 in your top 100. He is, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, the best pitching prospect the, the Blue Jays have at this point. They don't really have a need right now in the majors. They have more questions to figure out in the majors before they bring someone like that along. He covered the same three levels last year as, uh, as Painter, and so not a whole lot of experience um, in the upper levels, of course. Uh, where do you go with, with a guy like that who certainly projects to be a, a good major league starter, but today there's just no need i don't think no and he is much further behind developmentally than painter is um you know painter at least held his velocity all season tiedemann did not they yeah. shut tiedemann down at one point he came back he was working just three innings a start and he'd lost probably a half grade or more of velocity at that point he does not have anywhere near painter's uh strike throwing ability right now and the delivery's not as good i don't hate tiedemann's delivery but painter's delivery's really good like there's nothing about painter that says he can't be a really good starter for a really long time it's just health but he has pretty much everything you're looking for i think it's pretty easy to look at tiedemann 
and between the fact that he did fatigue at the end of last year and it's not a picture perfect delivery and you say well this is some bullpen risk i don't think it's huge or i wouldn't have ranked him 47th but it's there certainly uh yeah you know to me that's the that is a guy where you absolutely slow play it because also you're probably really watching his innings. I think Painter threw 100 odd innings last year. So I'm obviously they will be working on looking at his workload, but he can pitch basically a full season this year. And I don't think anybody's worried about that. He's not throwing 200 innings, but he could basically handle a full, certainly a full minor league workload. With Tiedemann though, because they had to shut him down on one point and then he came back and he was on a very limited workload and still wasn't throwing as hard as he had before. You are very much monitoring this guy's innings. And so to me, that is a, whether they start him at double A or start him at triple A, I'm kind of indifferent on those two options, but you are, he's probably still working on some kind of lower pitch count for those outings as you try to build him up. But also you want to make sure that he does have something left in the tank and is able to help you in August and September. Cause this team's contending. Both these teams are contending, but speaking specifically of the blue Jays, they are contending. And even if they never have a need for him in their rotation, a guy like that as a long reliever tandem starter, almost out of the bullpen later in the season, uh, or even as a, just a tactical weapon. I think of David price when he first came up for the Rays in 08 and he was just a one, basically a one inning reliever, but he was filthy. I yeah. could see Tiedemann doing something like that, but you have to manage him the first three or four months to make sure you get the last two or three months where you're getting the good version of Tiedemann. And I just think that one, yeah, there's been a little bit of, why don't they just bring him up right now? The other thing is they both these clubs have other high-level pitching prospects who they could bring up for short-term help, uh, bullpen or starter like if if the phillies need got a guy to come up and make one start they could call up griff mcgarry he's not the same prospect as painter but he's older and he has a little more upper level experience he finished in i believe he finished in triple a it was like one start but he he got there the jays have yasver zulueta who probably has to go to the bullpen anyway at this point and could come up and either make a spot start or provide some quality innings out of the bullpen he's going to throw super hard at least so that Tiedemann, you know, to me, you use the other guys to come up and fill in so that your Tiedemanns yep. and your painters get to keep developing on schedule. You don't want to rush those guys up arbitrarily because, oh, we have a need. Let's just call this guy up. Nope, you got a plan for those guys that probably covers the whole season, certainly covers at least half the season. You want to be able to stick to that as much as you can. Yeah, Tiedemann is a guy I, uh, I can say I was in on early because I was uh, my first few weeks, I think, at The Athletic. Um, I was writing about Juju Smith-Schuster, the, at the time Steelers wide receiver, and his uh, high school quarterback was Ty Tiedemann, older brother, who uh, I spoke to when he was on. He was riding a, a minor league bus in the the Rangers organization at the time, and he mentioned that his uh, his kid brother was a pretty good baseball pitcher in uh, in uh, back in Long Beach. Uh, so anyway, in, in early on him, looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. 
Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. Ronnie Mauricio with the Mets. He's a guy who has found a way to tap into his power in a big way the last couple of years and then is is doing the same this spring. Uh, three homers in the first handful of at-bats, getting people excited. Now the Mets um, don't really need a shortstop today. Uh, he was at 87th in your top 100. Um, he was 40th a year ago. Do you think he can get to that power consistently enough to be a good, above-average, solid major league starter? I think he will eventually. Um, I do think that you know the issue with him is entirely about his approach, um, about swing decisions in particular. He's got incredible bat speed. He's just got so, like super super quick wrists. I don't do a lot of player comps because I think they have to. Re- I think it's they're more misleading than informative. However, I've said a couple of times this guy reminds me a lot of Alfonso Soriano, who was another guy who never really walked that much and always struck out a little more than you'd like. But he had incredible bats. And he was, by the way, Soriano, also never very big or physical. Mauricio isn't. But both those guys showed a lot of power for their size because they had bat speed, quick, strong wrists and forearms. Um, And I I do think both those guys, um, I think Mauricio could end up with a Soriano-type career, which obviously be a tremendous outcome. But he has work to do, clearly. Uh, in the decisions he's making at the plate. This isn't just about walk rate, but what he's choosing to swing at. He's just overly, overly aggressive. Um, and that's leading to a lot of uh, a lot of swing and miss in the minors, as well as obviously that much lower walk rate than you'd like. Um, you don't see a lot of guys with walk rates and on-base percentages that low who are on my top 100. I think it is an, it is indicative of how much I do like Mauricio for what he can do um, that he is still on the top 100. And obviously he's him having a great spring, you know, hopefully if nothing else, it's a bit of a reminder to the Mets too, to the, you know, obviously Billy Epler hasn't been there that long. Mauricio is one of the prospects he inherited. And since Epler got there, Mauricio's not really progressed that well too. I don't think it hurts a player to do that stuff in the big leagues and sort of remind the front office. It's Hey, this guy's got some pretty high end skills. Like when it, Mauricio could easily be a 30 homer guy if his approach just improves enough to let him get to that, he's never posting a 400 on base. He may never post a 350 on base, but he, with better swing decisions, he could get to that 25 to 30 homer power. And hopefully, um, the one good thing that just comes out of him hitting was it three homers in less than a week already in spring training. It's just hey, there's this kid could be pretty special. We need to make sure we've got a player development plan in place that is designed to help him maximize his abilities. Okay, last one that I promise we can ignore. Sure. Spring training for a little while, yeah. Until yeah, the next time, Jared Kelnick. <laughs> till next time, Jared Kelnick. Uh, you know, post prospect, post hype, uh, way post hype. He's t- only twenty three still, but um, I mean, carrying around like an OPS that starts with a five uh, after pretty much a full season sample is uh, well, it, it has uh, really muted that hype. He hasn't handled breaking balls well. He hasn't handled fastballs much better. Are you optimistic at all of a, of a breakout for a guy who has a couple early homers in spring training? Like, is this is this still in the tank here? I still like Kalanick. I am absolutely not giving up on him. Um, you know, I think uh, there aren't many examples. There are some. But there are not many examples of guys who perform that well in the minors at those ages and then just just 
suck in the majors. Just never, ever figure it out. Um, it may take a little longer. It may be at another location, maybe in a, with another team. It could easily be, okay, maybe it's not with Seattle after all. I also think <clears throat> from talking to people who've known Kalanick, who've been around Kalanick, this kid's extremely hard on himself. And you know, maybe took, you know, going back to what I said about Painter, what happens if you call a guy up too soon and he struggles? I don't think the Mariners called Kellen yeah. up too soon, but I do think him struggling as badly as he did, and it was pretty bad. Um, I do think that has altered the trajectory of his career. And I think some of that comes down to him and being harder on yourself can, can cut both ways. Obviously, it can drive people to get better also. I think we've seen Kellenick, even when he's gone back to the minors in the last two years, change his approach kind of for the worse and become overly aggressive, even though this was a pretty selective, fairly disciplined hitter when he was younger, before he first got to the majors. I still believe that that player is in there. Um, I don't read too much into him having a great spring training. I keeps pretty good in spring training the last two years, also in limited time. So I don't want to read anything into this just because it tells me what I want to hear. But I also will tell you, I still believe Kellenick has that big power speed upside and maybe it just maybe it comes somewhere else maybe he has such a good spring training that an opportunity creates itself for the Mariners to trade him for something else maybe they need more because Kellenick you know a great if Kellenick turns into the player they thought he was going to be they'll find a place for him but they don't actually need him right now I think he could be um, you know potentially surplus for them to go acquire something they decide they need more yeah a week ago, you came out with your list of 20 prospects uh, most likely to make a big impact this season. Uh, top five there, Corbin Carroll, Gunnar Henderson, Tristan Cassis, Brett Beatty, and Josh Young. No really big surprises there. But you, when you get down to the pitchers, it's far far fewer uh, pitchers than position players, which I think is to be expected. It's really difficult to break into the majors and have an immediate impact, uh, especially as a starting pitcher. Only one of the top 10 is... Um, at six, Grayson Rodriguez. I want to ask you about Arizona. Uh, Ryan Nelson, Brandon Fott at 17 and 18. You could toss Dre Jameson in there as well. Fott is a guy who had great numbers in the PCL, which is not an easy place to have great numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, home Especially runs are an there, issue. Where they play? Yeah. Uh, what do you What do you do with with a guy like that at this point? They you could jumble away here where you fit Fott in the in the opening day rotation here, they are not married to a whole lot of guys, but um, you know, can he replicate what he's doing? There's, there's those three guys, Nelson, Fott and Jameson. They're getting really close and, and you could be giving them an opportunity tomorrow if you want. Uh, where would you go if you're Arizona? So I, you know what I said, I, I agree with you. They got, they have two guys who they're really wedded to, right? Gallon and Kelly above yeah. average starters I mean, gallon, well above average. Those should be the only locks for their rotation. Now, you're not going to start the season with all three of those prospects in the rotation. They had they brought back Zach Davies on a five million dollar contract where he's just he can soak up some innings as the you know the four or the five. Madison Bumgarner, who's just not been good, and they're paying him a lot. I don't think you let him get in the way of giving one of these starters an opportunity. But I put I had Nelson 17 and fought 18. That is not really a difference. But I put Nelson first because I think he just seems to be a little further ahead, not just in terms of readiness, but in the Diamondbacks' thinking. The Diamondbacks believe Fott is their best pitching prospect. So do I. But that Nelson might be a little closer to helping in the big leagues right now. I'd be fine if they said, we're going to go into the year with two rookies in the rotation and Bumgarner would just, you know, I don't know if they would just release him or put him in the bullpen or whatever. 
I think it's more likely they start out with Gallon, Kelly Davis, uh, Davies, Bumgarner, and Nelson, and then Fott yeah. maybe just starts in AAA, and the next time they need a starter, which they will because it's just how it goes, or maybe Bumgarner has a 9 ERA in April, they call Fott up. And then Jamison is a little further behind. The only thing I don't love about what I just described is that Jamison had the most trouble in AAA, and Reno is a horrendous place to pitch for folks who don't know. It's about I don't know, 20,000 feet above sea level, it might be off by a little bit. But you might as well be pitching on the surface of the moon. It's just, it is ridiculous. And some pitchers have a particularly hard time there. It does not mean they're not major league prospects. It's just a really lousy place to pitch. Also, if you play for Reno, you're playing road games in places like Albuquerque, which is an even worse place to pitch. So they may be better served putting all three of those guys in the major league roster. One's in the rotation, two's in the bullpen, two are in the rotation, one's in the bullpen, you know, on some kind of, you know, every couple of days you're throwing two to three innings regimen. It's not necessarily that planned out, but there's certainly opportunities to use long relievers. Teams are doing that more and more, especially if you decide anybody. Maybe Bumgarner is more like a twice through the order starter. If he's good enough just to do that, you know, you know what? You're not the old Bumgarner. That's fine. You're going to face 18 batters, give or take. You'll get out. You'll come out, and then hey, Dre Jamison comes in and throws the next two innings or something like that. That might be a better thing developmentally with the idea that at least two and maybe all three of those guys are in the rotation by the time the year is out. If everything goes well and you have the and, and those guys are all healthy and throwing well enough that you want to give them rotation spots, Davies could have some small trade value. He's not paid very much and he does absorb innings, which is not nothing. There are usually teams looking for something like that. And in the case of Bumgarner, I think at some point they're just going to have to admit that was a mistake and move on from the contract, which I understand it's hard for for executives and for owners to do, but the cost is sunk. He is not going to turn into the old Bumgarner again, and I don't want him getting in the way of any of these three prospects. If they are all pitchers, and I'm not really sure about Jameson, as, uh, sorry, as starting pitchers, um, I'm not sure about Jameson as a starter, but you don't really want somebody like Bumgarner, who's not productive, getting in the way of at least trying Jameson out as a starter to see what you've got. Bumgarner back to rodeo duty. Yes. Let's yeah. give him a spin on Absolutely. This week doing some some work for some future stories. I was looking closer at Hunter Brown and, and Cade Cavalli. You have Cavalli at number eleven on this impact list. Um Hunter Brown was in the uh he was in sort of the, the next up area, although that might change with Lance McCullough's injury. Um not the same dude, but let's put him side by side for just a minute here. They both likely have an opportunity to start this year. Both dudes have not figured out command and control. Uh, they can outstuff guys at every single level up through AAA. You can put them at AAA and they'll continue to outstuff guys and have an elevated walk rate probably. Or you can bring them to the majors where guys can handle their stuff pretty well and learn on the fly. And and, and then any any trouble you have with homers being a problem, any trouble you have with command and control, uh, are just going to be exaggerated. And the, the obvious example that I covered um, in person was Tyler Glass, now a guy who could who had – great stuff could handle any level of the minors and you bring up to the majors and everything just fell apart. What do you do with that? If you're a team, if you've got a guy who's, who's major league ready in basically every way, except for commanding the ball and, uh, and having control, is that something that you at some point just need to have them figure out in the majors or do you need to get that in, in the minors and say, I don't care if the numbers look great. You're still walking four guys a game. <laughs> I, so it's two different situations too. They're, they're, what's interesting about those guys is you know, Cavalli's on the Nationals. They're not contending this year. They are absolutely building, uh, rebuilding. And so for them, you just put Cavalli in the rotation. And it's, hey, we're not really worried about the ERA up to some level. 
here are the things you need to be working on specifically. And But the idea is, this is your job. We'd like you to have it the entire season. Hopefully you make 30 starts for us. Um, he did in the year with a little bit of a shoulder issue, so they may be more cautious than that. But he's supposed to be completely healthy and ready to go. And the hope is that, yeah, you're going to make 30 starts and throw 150 or so innings for us. And we're just, you know, here are the areas we're looking to see you improve in so that you win a spot in our rotation long-term. Hopefully you're in our rotation, not just for this year, but for the next six years. And that by the next time we're good, you're part of that rotation. Uh, Brown, and by the way, Brown would have been on my top 20 if I had published this after McCullers' injury. I think McCullers got hurt. Might have even been the night before we published or the morning that we published. That's when it became public. So it was a little late to go and change the the whole list, but he absolutely would have been on it. Um, most of you know the pitchers who I have on the list have jobs, and the pitchers who aren't on the list kind of don't have jobs, um, as in general. And you know Brown absolutely would have been. He was basically the sixth starter coming in. And I know they they messed around with the six man rotation at times, but that wasn't enough to put him on the list uh, just for the top twenty. You know, now I I think he probably is in the rotation, and it did seem like the way they used him last year, they probably would be inclined to give him that chance um it's a different situation when you're trying to win and as much as i still think the astros are the best team in that division but i think seattle's really good and um enough that you don't you give brown less slack if he struggles with command and control which has been kind of an issue for him all the way back to college he's better than he was when he was back at division two wayne state i love mentioning that because how many people even knew how many people could tell Detroit, you what wayne go. state is right like I can't. Yeah. I I am a big fan. D2, D3, NAIA, junior college kids, all in, right? They don't always come. Obviously, Division One produces the best players and the majority of the players, but that's not it. There are good players all over the place. And I love when guys from less common schools get to the big leagues. I think it just speaks to, I think it speaks to the importance of scouting and to the fact that they're good, they're talented players who just get overlooked or develop late. And we should be, equally willing to give those guys a chance. And Brown Brown was on my top 100 in that draft year. I think he ended up going only in the fifth round or so. And I think a lot of it was because people were like, Wayne State, like even in the industry, what do we do with that? Yes, yeah, so, okay, so he struck out a billion guys. It's division two, right? Well, turns out he's pretty good. Um, and I do think he can, uh, he he will miss bats in the big leagues like he did a little bit in September because he can just kind of outstuff guys. But it's a tough delivery for him to repeat. I don't know that he's really enough of an athlete to get to even average control, let alone command. Um, in all cases, that only gets better with with experience, right? You, repetitions are, are and, and you know, hopefully good coaching, are how you get to improvements in control and then in command. With Brown, the question becomes, do you want him to do that in the majors and potentially you maybe lose an extra game or two while you're developing him? I don't think it's much more than that. Or do you say he goes back to AAA and ask him to work on that in the AAA environment rather than impacting a major league club that absolutely is gunning to win the division and potentially defend its its uh, World Series title. The Astros may have a little flexibility there, right? They won that division by a lot. They are still the favorites to win that division. Maybe you can give Brown a couple more turns in the rotation versus a team that, like, say, in the AL East, where you are probably looking at an absolute dogfight down to the finish and every win might matter, and you might have less willingness to give an opportunity to somebody like Brown and the rest of that Astros rotation is really good. So I'm not as worried, but I do think just since you brought up those two situations to me, Cavalli, unless he's got a 10 ERA, he's in the rotation all year. 
Brown, yeah. I could see them saying, you know, if he struggles a little bit in his first five, six turns through the rotation, all right, we need to change this up, whether it's shift him to the pen for a little bit or send him to the minors to work on specific things. I think you're a little more willing to do that because the goal is win now. The Orioles were becoming a team to watch last year. I think they're certainly going to be that this year with the amount of young talent they have. You had three guys on this list. Um, Gunnar Henderson at the top. Um, you had um, Grace, uh, yeah, Grayson Rodriguez was at six and Joey Ortiz was at 20. Um, the shortstop situation there that looks like they're going to start with Jorge Mateo, much to your chagrin. Do you... Do you think it's something where we're even going to see Gunnar Henderson at shortstop down the road or because they have Ortiz right there, ultimately when they make that move, the likely move to Ortiz, is is he going to be the long-term shortstop and, and Henderson just end up at third base where he's, you know, I think has the tools to be really elite? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, from because they have so many ways they can go. I, I mean, I talk to people in every organization to do my farm rankings. And sometimes I disagree with, with teams on players. I know the Orioles also think Joey Ortiz is really good. Um, it's funny because I've been an Ortiz booster for a while now. The Orioles kind of know that. Like I've had people in that organization say, yeah, you're, you're the big Joey Ortiz fan. I'm like, yeah, I am. I, I think he can really play. Also, I love the fact that this kid who was basically like a little slap hitter with a horrible swing when they drafted him, went out, got stronger, worked to change his swing during the pandemic, comes back in 21, completely different guy. Good for him. We should root for guys who do that. I think that's awesome when players, especially do it on their own, go out and take that initiative. We should praise that. And so um, I think they will give him an opportunity at some point. This is not a case of they just like other players better. Ortiz is right there. I think he plays shortstop for them at some point this year. I think Jorge Mateo is kind of terrible. I understand the defensive numbers are great. I have questions on whether war or similar metrics ad adequately measure players who are that bad at something. And when it comes, his offense is pretty atrocious. Um, but setting aside my quibbles with some of those statistics that like, treat something as linear when maybe it's not necessarily linear, they're going to be a better team with Ortiz at short, but they would also be a better team with Gunnar Henderson at short. Yeah. Um, and you know what? Jordan Westbrook is not that far behind. He's not as good of a prospect as those guys, but I like Jordan Westbrook. I think he plays every day for somebody. He just may not play every day for the Orioles because they're going to have better players. I mean, that's the, the Orioles have the best problem to have, which is they have a glut of major league worthy position players who are probably all going to see the majors at some point this year. They're not all ready right now, but they're close. So some of these guys are going to end up shipped out to other organizations. But I could also see a future for them where Henderson's at short, Westberg's at third, and Ortiz ends up in another organization. It wouldn't even be because they don't like him, but because they, at some point they're going to have to trade some of those prospects for more pitching. They are Their rotation is still, uh, I think it's a weak spot on the major league side, and I think the pitching depth in the system is a real weakness. They had Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall on my top 100. Hall absolutely must throw more strikes to be able to be a starter and everybody after that is fit, you know, basically fifth starter or less. Cade Povich is their third best pitching pro starting pitching prospect. He might be a fourth starter, and that's probably it. And then after that, there's just not much starting pitching depth. So they're going to have to go outside the organization at some point. And they do have position player prospect depth to make a trade like that. Maybe this is the year or the half year where they sort through a bunch of these options and decide these are the ones we keep. These are the guys we're willing to trade. 
Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network, you're there to look for jobs, you're there to post jobs, and how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. At this point, every spring, we find out about injuries that have been lingering. We find out about new injuries. And for young players' prospects, they can open up some doors. So as you look around at what we've seen, a long-term injury like Gavin Lux uh, out for the year, then some more medium, short-term ones, Joe Musgrove, Tyler Glass now, Seiya Suzuki, Garrett Whitlock still not pitching, Lance McCullers. Beyond McCullers, we just mentioned Hunter Brown. Is there an injury you've seen that really opens a door in a, in a way that um, you're going to be keeping an eye on for a younger prospect? Yeah, I wondered... You know, when the um, when the Lux injury came down, you know, my first thought was, oh, well, they've got a bunch of position players who are ready. This must open up a possibility. But it kind of doesn't because nobody can play shortstop. Yeah. <laughs> I was just, like momentarily excited, not for – I feel very bad for Gavin Lux. I've always liked him as a prospect too. But then it's like, oh, well, who does this – you know, somebody else gets a shot in the big leagues. But it probably doesn't change anything unless – and this is like a almost like a you know multi-stage multi-step process that ends up with James Outman making the big league club. I wonder if this improves his chances to win the center field job because they decide they need more thump at the back of the lineup. Like the back of their lineup might be kind of bad, which we're not used to from the Dodgers. But you know, if Miguel Rojas is the everyday shortstop, which he probably has to be at this point, do you yeah. really want him? He can't hit. You want him and then somebody like Trace Thompson, who doesn't offer you much at all uh, with the bat, also in the lineup. And you know Chris Taylor is obviously declining as a hitter. Suddenly you start to look at their lineup and, hey, this isn't that great anymore. Well, the top of it's great, right? But the, it is not a one through nine or even one through eight lineup like we've been used to seeing with the Dodgers the last few years. So, yeah, that was one sort of it's several dominoes, right? But you could sort of get there and see where that's an opportunity, probably more for Altman than for Michael Bush, who I think is still kind of stuck behind other players. Miguel Vargas clearly has the lead on the second base job. If he shows he can handle it, then that he probably wins that. But if he doesn't, for whatever reason, or if they need to put him at third for somehow as they're shuffling guys around, you know, Bush, 
Bush could play second base for them potentially. Um, as for Glasnow, yeah, I'm not sure who would benefit from the Rays. Like their top starting pitching prospect for me is Taj Bradley. I think we'll see him in the big leagues at some point this year. I don't know that. Well, also, this is the Rays. They hold everybody down forever. Um, is there really an opportunity for him to jump in and make some starts, or will they do some bullpen games? Um, have some of their you know you know, once one and a half times through the order guys fill in for them potentially. I'm not sure who else they would potentially call up. You know, it does for a lot of clubs, it would create an opportunity, but they are so deliberate in how they promote their guys that um, I'm not sure that that pushes any of their pitching prospects. I'm thinking Bradley specifically, but I'm not sure that this pushes anybody up to the majors sooner than they would want is what I'm saying. It's less about whether Bradley or anybody else in that system is ready necessarily and more about, you know what, they're just not going to call that guy up until they decide that he's ready, regardless of whether they have an actual need on the big league roster. I mean, I don't know if you see, if you look, I just pulled up their depth chart and I'm looking at this and I'm not sure who's really, like they have a bunch of these, eh, he could make a few starts for them type of guys. And I think they'll turn to them before they call up a prospect. Yeah, and back to what you said about the Dodgers. In last episode, we talked um, for a while about Miguel Vargas making the move to second base. How, I mean, that <clears throat> even more pressure on I mean, more important that he takes that step forward and shows he can hit at a major league level because the back end of that lineup i'm looking at the roster resource by um uh by fangraphs and right now you know the first five are, are great but then you're looking at david peralta trace thompson miguel vargas and miguel rojas and chris taylor's on the bench too is probably going to fit in there most days uh that's not that's not what we're expecting from the dodgers and if, if vargas hits like we think he's going to hit eventually, then that, that'll be just fine. Um, but uh, yeah, not the typical murderer's row that we're expecting to see there. So as we wrap things up today, a quick plug for a story. I wrote this last week, uh, Keith, I'd mentioned it to you off air as I was reporting it after our last episode. Uh, have you ever heard of Peter Bear? Um, I had it was not, a, a mo- <laughs> but your story was well, great. I shared it, obviously. Well, he, he um, former minor leaguer, um, he admitted on Twitter Two weeks ago that he had um, he was on the ineligible list for the third year in a row, I guess ineligible for the third year in a row, on the list for the second year in a row because he had bet on baseball during the 2020 canceled season. Um, the story about how that came about was he tweeted out his story. He DM'd me and a lot of other reporters hoping we'd write about it. I talked to him, and then unfortunately for him, I also tried to get the rest of the story, and uh, it didn't come out as favorable as he'd like. So check that one out on theathletic.com. Um, bottom line <clears throat> to any minor leaguers, uh, who may be listening is is don't bet on baseball. You can bet on other things. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff um, to be betting out there if, if you'd like. Um, so <clears throat> that'll do it for today. You can check out all of Keith's work from his top 100 to his farm system rankings, to his sleepers, to his um, <clears throat> to his impact players uh, this uh, this season. Uh, you can read all that on theathletic.com. Can I jump in? I, by the time yeah. this airs, I believe my first draft ranking for this year will be up. Um, I just ranked 30 players, which is basically like a round's worth of prospects because we're early. I always, yeah. I, I have, I, and I'm, I know other guys who do much longer lists, nothing against them, like Pipeline, MLB Pipeline, like they've got a long list out. I, I like to take it slow in the draft um, and see more players myself, but I've got a ranking of 30 uh, going up and it is, I think it's an amazing draft class. Like this is definitely the best draft class. It's probably in 10 years or more, maybe since the 2011 draft class that gave us like 
Garrett Cole and um, uh, Anthony Rendon, and that was the Dylan Bundy. Obviously, he didn't stay healthy, but at the time, there's Francisco Lindor and Javi Baez, and wasn't that George Springer also? Like, that was a hell of a draft class. It was an unbelievable draft class. This is the best since then. It's very, very college-heavy, which I think is kind of fun for fans because you can follow these guys and watch them way more easily than you can with the high school talent. And it's a very SEC, ACC-heavy class, too. So those, And I think those teams are even easier to see online or even sometimes on television. So I'm pretty excited. I've, I've been out once. I'll be out again this weekend seeing players and this is going to be a really fun one to cover and um you know potentially a draft that's going to produce some short-term big league impact which i think just increases fan interest in the draft in general we will keep an eye out for that one on the athletic and you can get a subscription to the athletic at theathletic.com slash baseball show two dollars a month gets you in the door as dvr says for the first year you can find keith on twitter at keith law you can find me at stephen j nesbitt the athletic baseball show is back next week have a great weekend 